0: This podcast is a presentation of UCTV.TV, University of California Television. Like what you learn? Help others discover UCTV podcasts by leaving a comment or rating in iTunes. I think when I agreed to do this, I didn't think it through particularly well, because it seems like each of these topics could be covered in many hours each. So I have been selective um, and will do my best to get some key points. I want to really think about the multiple relationships between aging and disability, um, the impacts of disability on function, quality of life and prognosis, both for people who have early onset and later onset disability, and then come up with some uh, suggest some approaches to older persons with disabilities. Um, That aren't like radically new necessarily but if you've started in the disability developmental disability world um, for people who are children or adults not elders, um, some of this might be new and useful to you I certainly hope so. Um, I think we all know that these areas have traditionally been siloed. In San Francisco, we actually have uh, an agency um, for disability and aging. But even within that, there's some infighting. And the groups have traditionally had different priorities, terminology, service networks. And even within aging, you know, dementia gets pulled out, disability gets pulled out. Sometimes we already know there's a huge divide between health and social services, as if our lives didn't require both and ideally both concert. Uh, But as it turns out, most people with disability are old and late onset disability is super common. Uh, But so is increasingly, and I've seen this through my career, um, people aging with early onset disability. And there didn't used to be much of that. So this is a a really important frontier, I think, for collaboration between those of us in geriatrics um, and some of you who have um, perhaps mostly dealt with younger people thus far. Um, We also know that people with early onset disability are more disabled in old age. If old age comes with disability, then starting disadvantaged leads to more disadvantage with time. Uh, And we know that people who are old and disabled are given lower standards of care and support than people who are disabled only. that most people are disabled, uh, you know. The, the that most disabled people are old are shown by these graphs. So the one on the left shows you um, self care, which is sort of the orange color, mobility, the darker blue, and household activities, the lighter blue. And then the the greens and yellows on the right really show how it upticks with age. Um, pretty interesting. Looks vaguely like the COVID uh, death curves, which is an interesting thing. You know, we do change over the lifespan and um, there won't be time for this in this presentation, but I think we have to consider how much of this is biology and how much of this is uh, prejudice against people with disabilities or people as they get older. Um, There are mixed messages on care access. Um, So this uh, study from the Kaiser Family Foundation shows that younger people, so people under age 65 with disabilities, are um, less likely to go to the doctor if they need to, um, partly because of cost um, being, you know, not, um, and, and this is all for Medicare beneficiaries, Um, So younger people are more likely to have trouble getting the care they need um, and to have financial challenges as part of the disincentive for getting necessary health care. Um, At the same time, an OWD is old with disability, I might have made that up, um, (laughs) are the the category at highest risk for exclusion during disasters, um, disasters being floods, earthquakes, et cetera, we know these are the left behind people, preferentially, one might argue similarly for pandemics. Um, You know, when you make everything digital or you have to get to a site for your vaccine, for example. Um, services that people get when they're younger and disabled are often lost after age 65. So, access to care assistance, employment supports, support for adjusted cars so that you could get to your job, respite care for caregivers. Um, and are frank biases, such as Medicare does not pay for hearing aids, even though we know hearing impairment causes tremendous disability and is very common as people age. And actually, the cutoffs for hearing age are frankly ageist, because if the same levels where a child or an adult would be given a hearing aid, that is not the threshold used for older people. So, it's an intricate relationship. Uh, I'm going to start talking a little bit about people who are growing old with pre-existing disabilities. Um, And actually, as I looked at the volume of material I had, I actually ended up putting more into the part of people who are old and develop new disabilities, figuring that you all may be greater experts on this first part than I. Um, We know that adults with disabilities report frequent mental distress. In fact, they are Five times um, as often to have mental distress. But stress comes in physiologic, not just psychological ways too. And people with disabilities are at higher risk for that kind of stress. Um, but this, the emotional stress can lead to physiological changes that correlate with cellular aging. There is a, a process called accelerated aging um, that happens to people with chronic diseases, people who are chronically homeless or incarcerated, any kind of on Ongoing stress. Um, it, it also has epigenetic effects, so things that can be passed on to other generations because of changes in um, DNA, methylation, and other sorts of changes that literally are passed on. Um, at when people have children. And we know people with disabilities have a harder time getting jobs that would raise their socioeconomic status. And often they have lower SES than their families. Um, and that's associated with accelerated aging, um, lower life expectancy, um, and other bad outcomes. Uh, Just uh, for a little moment of sort of humor, um, accelerated aging does happen with stress. So these are presidents usually at four or five year intervals um, in which they have aged significantly. Um, Maybe, you know, one of the many reasons you might not want to sign up for that job, I guess. Some people do. Anyway, life expectancy with and without intellectual or developmental disabilities, this is changing a little bit, but this is from 2015, which isn't that long ago. Um, And you can see how at all age groups, um, people have uh, lower life expectancy. but it's not everybody, right? It's sort of, we tend to talk about people with developmental disabilities with one broad swath, as we do for aging. Um, people with mild to moderate intellectual disability actually have the same longevity and aging as the general population. There's a lot that depends on individual genetics and lifestyle. And of course, lifestyle has to do with um, how many ways your um, family can and will um, help you compensate and provide you with um, ways to succeed in your life. We see that with people without disabilities as well, of course. There are some conditions that accelerate aging, and they do this in a variety of ways. So for Down syndrome, um, the accelerated aging and the the early deaths are often disease-related. So um, part of the disease conditions that develop as a result of the chromosomal uh, difference of those people. For epilepsy and autism, the drugs that treat the conditions uh, can accelerate aging, as can the disease and people who have severe intellectual and physical disability uh, are at risk for all kinds of health complications from respiratory infections um, to general decline, skin breakdown, all sorts of of other situations where sometimes they can't ask for the help they need and sometimes their body can't do basic things that fend off disease for the rest of us. Um, As I mentioned, there are many co-founders, among them obesity, which is something we could maybe do more or to prevent um, harder to do for people who have trouble uh, moving around, Um, but not impossible and a good way of increasing a person's quality and uh, quality of life and longevity. Um, Down syndrome is an interesting case. so today here is actually probably 10 years ago at this point, but um, it's it has been going up and that's partly the ability to treat the conditions that come along with Down syndrome and um, uh, partly, you know, general advances in medicine. Um, and we see here, um, oh, I'm going to forget his name, Peter, maybe, anyway, a, a British man who lived well into his 70s. And got a great deal of media attention as uh, one of the only, uh, one of the first very long uh, survivors with Down syndrome. But I think it's really important here to note the racial differences that you are way more likely to survive into old age um, with Down syndrome if you are white, and that just shows the ways in which socioeconomic advantages um, really play a part in health and disadvantages going the other direction. Um, Some of the challenges uh, with people growing older with disability, their family caregivers may die or age out of being able to do what's needed. Uh, They're less likely to have preventative care as we saw with the Medicare slide or healthy lifestyle. Um, They age out of all kinds of uh, disability services um, and they have early onset of age-related conditions um, as we saw a few cases of. Uh, There are also some diagnostic challenges. So people who have um, intellectual disabilities or severe developmental disabilities um, may be mistaken for having dementia when they don't. But equally, their dementia may be missed um, or their their conditions that mimic dementia may be missed um, because of their disabilities. And so few providers have training in either intellectual and developmental disabilities or geriatrics. That's a huge hindrance. So they don't know some basic things that we all do regularly, which is what is this person's baseline function? How do I know if they're ill if I don't know what what normal looks like for them? Um, They're really at increased risk for inappropriate treatment, so too much treatment, treatment that might benefit a healthy person their age, but is unlikely to benefit them and might have more side effects than benefits or more adverse consequences. And then too little treatment where their lives are undervalued or they're assumed to not be able to or not want something that they might actually benefit from. And then there are a lot of diagnostic tools that simply don't know how to account for intellectual and developmental disabilities. So I told you that would be fast. We're already at section two, which is um, people who develop new disabilities with advancing age. And I mentioned this before, but I just wanted to show it again in a variety of ways. Um, the lighter color here is the the percentage of people needing assistance. Um, you've got severe any disability as the dark purple, and severe disability as the lighter uh, purple. So it really steadily goes up with age. And yet, I want to point out that for needs assistance, there's still uh, real majority of people who do okay without much assistance. Now that doesn't—that means human assistance. It doesn't include all the ways we can in, we can modify lives and the environment to enable people to remain independent. Um, specific disabilities. The most common ones tend to be in mobility, inability to live independently, which usually is a marker for multiple, you know, a little bit of vision loss, a little bit of cognitive change, you know, an, an amalgam. There's hearing loss also tremendously common. Again, note how for for most of these, the highest is sort of 30 to 40%. Um, Now, partly that's because their highest group here is 75 plus, um, and people live well into their hundreds. My oldest patient thus far has been 111. Um, That is rare, but we frequently see people um, into their hundreds these days. And to lump somebody at 75 with their 98-year-old parent, um, it doesn't make any more sense than, you know, lumping somebody who's seven with their 34-year-old parent. The impact of disability on elders is tremendous. um, And actually, it's a big player in how people see their lives. So most older People value their independence as much as they do being alive. In fact, sometimes more. Uh, The impact of disability on... Healthcare costs across types of systems is uh, significant, um, and it turns out ability, disability, is the biggest determinant of a person's uh, healthcare usage, and so the cost to the system, um, and a better determinant of mortality in old people uh, than their disease state. So this is something we think about a lot in geriatrics. Basically, however, if you live into really advanced old age, chances are very good you will be disabled. Um, This was from the Cambridge Health Study um, showing that people, once they reach 85 or 90, uh, a vast majority need some help to function, particularly if it's the last year of their life. Um, and, and that's not surprising. You know, life life is an arc and we tend to need much more help at the beginning and the end, even if in between we're an able-bodied person. There are two disability pathways in older persons, but one is, you know, significantly more rare than the other. So one in five people will have a catastrophic event Um a stroke, uh, a sudden severe illness, a bad cancer, a massive heart attack with heart failure, um, a variety of other conditions. But for most of us, it's insidious. And anyone who, like me, is in middle age um, or beyond already has uh, noted the accumulation of deficits and changes um, that increase our vulnerability for disability. Um, sometimes there's a small event that results in a loss of independent functioning. And part of that is that as we age, if you see there a line between ability and disability, those of us who are born without disability start way, way, way above that line. So a small decrement leaves us still... Um, as able-bodied people. But as we age, we get closer to that line. And so something small can tip us over from able-bodied to a person with disability. Um, And a lot of the thinking about disability in older adults has been that underlying vulnerability and then a precipitating event. I'm not going to go into all the details here, but I just want to say that hospitals can uh, give people grave disability more so as they age, and there are a host of risk factors. This is its own literature about hospital-acquired disability, and I'll just say that this may be because we put elders in hospitals designed for adults. Uh, we recognize that children do better with special hospitals. Um, this was not always the case, um, and many of us recognize <laughs> that elders do better with special hospitals and we're starting to get units that will decrease the amount of disability like acute care for elders units um, and geriatric emergency departments but by and large we continue to put elders in adult hospitals to their detriment. Um, This is a play on you say tomato, which I do say, and a British person might say tomato, and just to call attention to the fact that in the disability community, often the the discussion is ability, disability, Um, and in geriatrics, we often talk about function with dependence or independence um but they're very similar um in fact functional status as i already mentioned or ability disability is by far one of the best predictors of outcomes in older people you know from death uh, to nursing home placement, which many people um, actually would uh, rather die than go into a nursing home, caregiver burner, resource use, um, and it works better than diseases. It's more powerful because it's really how diseases and injuries have accumulated in your body over time. Um, We have something called frailty uh, in old age, and I'm sure you've heard the term, but it's a condition of vulnerability. So when I spoke about vulnerability, a frail person may not have explicit disabilities. They may actually, you can be both simultaneously. So as you see here on the right, there's full performance, then you get into the frailty zone, and below that is disability. But many people with disabilities have frailty and and there's not a good way to quite picture this, Um, but frailty is really your vulnerability. And with accelerated aid, people will hit the frailty status years, sometimes decades earlier, and then go into disability earlier. Um, Functional losses um, means people will stay in the hospital longer and they have more risk for readmission. Um, Also something that's generally not factored in by people who care for people in hospitals. Um, Lower quality of life, higher rates of institutionalization and death. Um, So really, should there be something in our electronic record, should be something in our uh, how we care for people in the hospital that accounts for function. Uh, the, the data suggests there should be, but often when providing care for older adults, um, that care is not based on evidence, at least not based on evidence that's particular to older people. Um, and this chart just shows the interplay of age and um, ability status. So people who are independent um, and younger old will live more years. I mean it's, isn't obviously, you know, so surprising. Um, But you can see here that if you're 85 and you're independent, you're going to live about twice as long as somebody um, who has some disability. Um, But if you're younger, you're going to live just maybe a third uh, longer. So age and disability both matter. Um, lots of risk factors for functional decline from the environment your genes your medical conditions age-related changes medications all sorts of things work together now when we're talking about somebody's ability or disability we talk less about particular conditions, although obviously we would treat hearing loss mobility problems, but how we assess a person's risk or their degree of disability in old age has to do with ADLs and IADLs, and I'm sure you're familiar with all of this, but basically in part it's because we know if people have ADL problems um, they need 24-hour care and if they have um, IADL problems, they can have intermittent care. Um, An adult child or a helper can show up once a week, once every two weeks um, and by and large people will be okay. You can also do a lot to modify people's homes to help them thrive despite IADL difficulties. Um, there's, there's a third category that I like to use that I find even many of my colleagues don't use, um, but I find this great for patient relationship um, and for really assessing subtle changes. And these are the advanced activities of daily living, which are person-specific, and they really maintain that person's health and quality of life. And by checking in on this, I both show that I see them as a unique human being, which frankly makes my job much more fun for me too. Um But also sometimes really subtle changes here uh, will signify something like a silent heart attack or um, a fracture that hasn't been picked up on or a fall they didn't think to tell me about. Uh, So super helpful as well. Um, The way people get disabilities in old age is a little different and I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this, but... um, we have reduced lean body mass, reduced muscle mass with age. You can do a lot to combat this, but most people assume it's uh, immutable age function. So there, there should actually be required weightlifting once we hit 50 probably and 60 certainly um, because you can increase muscle strength uh, at all ages. There was a great study uh, in the 90s proving this and has been shown many times since. Um, But there is also with age somewhat inevitably at this point, increased muscle and joint stiffness. Some of the cutting edge geroscience is working on really earlier pathways of aging and may be able to prevent or delay these um, effects. But that is definitely another lecture and not quite ready for prime time yet. And then mobility and gait are often affected by other changes in the body, like a person's ability to see or their ability to feel the the ground beneath them if they have a neuropathy. So fairly different pathways to disability in old age. Um, But as you can see, it's really common. It goes way up. Women have more functional disabilities as they age uh, than men. Um, It's really interesting that men seem to sort of die preferentially as we age. at age 85, about um, three quarters of people are female, and at age 100, four and five people are female. So men are more likely to die when they get old, and women are more likely to become disabled. Um, When we think of vision impairment, we often think of the eyes. And I think um, when people are thinking disability or developmental, congenital disabilities, they often think of eyes. And and in old age, we often think of eye conditions that develop with age, such as these common conditions. Um, But there's another huge category that makes a difference, which is dementia and cognitive changes. Um, So if maybe 5% of people will be affected in their 60s, it goes up significantly in in the seventies into the twenty some percent uh, you know teens to twenties, and then over age eighty or eighty five, it's about forty percent of people who will have some form of dementia or cognitive impairment, and this really changes how people see and what they what they can do as well. So I just wanted to touch briefly on the different pathways to disabilities that may in you know, the constellation of disabilities may resemble those of somebody who had developmental disability, but they will be more newly acquired and they will have different mechanisms and that probably means the care the person needs is slightly different. Um, so what can we do to help Um Or what are some of the things we can do? So there are some screens that busy clinicians can do if you're seeing an older person. um, And and there's good evidence, um, again, you know, dating for the last several decades, that earlier diagnosis of disability can actually delay, reverse it in some cases, or at least partially reverse it, or delay progression. Um, So if you want a really quick screening question for ADLs and IADLs, the best is to ask if people can get out of bed, dress themselves, prepare meals, and shop on their own without help. Um, If they can't do the first two, chances are they need pretty continuous help. And if they can't do the second two, chances are they need intermittent help. Um, Those are the the highest yield measures on the ADL and IADL scales. Arm function really important for daily you know, can you touch the back of your head? That means, you know, can you fix your hair? Um, Can you wash parts of your body? Can you touch your lower back? Can you get dressed? Can you reach both arms over your head? Can you reach for things you need and also get dressed? Uh, Hand function. Um, You can have them squeeze your fingers. I will tell you, you can have a very frail appearing man in a wheelchair and he can really hurt your finger. I have learned this the hard way. Um, So often I'll do things like pull this paper out of my hand or pick up this coin instead. Gate, there is something called the time to get up and go test. Um, and I'm not gonna go into detail uh, too much about this, but I have given you slides that explain it and it's really easy to look up um, to get a sense of a person's gait and mobility, um, not just impairment uh, versus normal function, but you can track this over time and see a decrement um, or see that they're coming close to the threshold and you can intervene and prevent the mobility dysfunction from happening. Um, similarly for cognition, uh, it, this is actually debated. The U.S. Preventive Services Task Force does not recommend screening for the dementias, but they also consider treatment to be medications almost exclusively. Uh, I consider treatment to be you know, home modification, caregiver training, giving a person an opportunity to do the things they've always wanted to do while they can still do them, advanced care planning, all sorts of things. So to to know and it may depend on whether the person wants to know or not. Um, but but good to uh, if there are any questions on the part of the person or the family to do a little screening. So this is the information on the timed up and go. And the mini cog is really simple. It's a three-item recall you get three words and 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 there are again forms for this so that you don't use words that are too easy for people to associate and recall and then a clock draw. If they can't remember any of the words after drawing their clock, they probably have dementia. If they remember all three, they really, it's unlikely. And then if they can recall in the middle, the clock kind of helps you because if it looks normal, you're more reassured. And if it looks like the one on the right and the one below, you're pretty clear that there is something not right going on. Again, assuming this was a person with normal cognitive function to begin with. I think it's really important to give people agency in old age um, and with or without disability. And I sometimes talk to people about SOS as their way of getting through things. So one is the self, thinking about what they can do. Are they assuming that because they have a disability, they can't do things? Um, Are they assuming because they're old, they can't do things and really um, exploring that with them and then pushing back against it. Um, What is it they most want to do? What would motivate them beyond those internalized prejudices? Um, And are are there things they can do to help them get to their pleasure or their goal? Um, The other are the people who can be involved um, in their lives who could help them do this, whether, you know, family, friends, paid person. And what do they want that to look like? How much help do they really want? How much do they need? And then society, that's really thinking about the programs, professions, or places that can help the person optimize uh, their function and increase their health and quality of life. Uh, I will just add a little plug for hearing aids here. Uh, I had trouble throughout my career um, in getting people to get them and wear them. Um, We know that hearing impairment uh, leads to uh, all kinds of problems, but this latest data on memory loss and hearing impairment um, has made it really easy for me to convince older people to get hearing aids. Uh, They will, uh, you know, they're paid for by Medicare Advantage programs. People who have resources can pay for them. Um, Medicaid, depending on where you live, will often pay for them. But the effects on people's health and well-being are significant. And yet, if if we don't treat the hearing loss, um, they will have cognitive disability over three years sooner, um, and their decline is more precipitous, and the degree of hearing loss correlates with the likelihood of developing dementia. So this is a good way to get people to address their hearing impairment. Um, Functional planning and goals, really, really important. Um, I think people will recognize their deficits, not strengths, if throughout their lives they were a functional person. There is a a blow to the ego and sense of self, which unless explicitly addressed, um, will keep the person from doing as well as they could with their new disability. Um, getting people to accept adaptive equip- equipment. I can't tell you how many people in their 80s and 90s have told me they don't want to use a cane because then people will know they're old. So somehow getting people to realize it, it's worse if you're wobbling down the street and actually if you're in your 80s or 90s, people probably already know. Um, and obviously you have to do that with great consideration. Um, you know, and and uh, something clinicians who are non-geriatricians uh, in the internal medicine sector often don't do is realize that if you can't change the person, often changing the environment will make all the difference. So to avoid crises, I tell people we anticipate changes that are common with aging. Acknowledge the new reality. Um, oh, that's supposed to say adapt and accept. I'm so sorry. So adapt to the changes. Um by, you know, changing environment, equipment, attitudes, behaviors, and then take action to do the things that give life meaning. Um, I knew I had too many slides, so I'm just going to close up here fairly quickly by saying that advanced care planning is about not just deciding if somebody wants resuscitation, but deciding what gives life meaning and whether medical care will help or hinder that. Um, with in the aging and disability uh, overlap area, I think this needs to be done for the caregiver and the person with disability when the caregiver is the older adult. Really important to walk through this. I have been in situations where um, the older person died, you know, sooner than they imagined and nothing was in place. Um, so he- here I gave you a list of things that you can talk about um, with people who are the caregivers for uh, adult children with developmental or intellectual disabilities. Um, And as with all advanced directive discussions, the sooner you start these, Um, the easier it will be. I don't do it all in one session. I raise it. I give them a handout to take home. And then we discuss it slowly over time. And it may need to be revisited um, if the social situation changes or the health of the person with disability changes. These are some of the forms. And the three things to clarify are who should make decisions if the current person making decisions cannot, what kind of decisions should they make, and how should they decide who else should they consider in that process. And I will just close by saying that ageism is everywhere. So this was something targeting people with disabilities. And it talked about the 35% who are of prime working age and completely ignored that a person might be 65 or older and working or have other value to society. a lot of pro-aging stuff so this is the city's of uh, city boss city of boston's anti-ageism campaign and yet it disses people who are frail or inactive basically people with disabilities it is divorcing aging from disability in a way that does us all a huge disservice uh so to conclude i'll just say this is from uh the the writer doris lessing she said And this is one of the reasons I think people struggle so much with new disability and old age, that the great secret all old people share is that you really haven't changed in 70 or 80 years. Your body changes, but you don't change at all, and that causes great confusion. You've been listening to a podcast by University of California Television. For more information about this program or UCTV, visit us online at uctv.tv.